guys, Father Ian Van Houston here at the Art of Living Well podcast. What I want to get into this week is the sale of indulgences, one of the more controversial parts of church history, which is, for those who don't know, so in the time of the Middle Ages, um, I'm, I might be getting the history slightly wrong because um, I just want to kind of get to the, the, the main point. But um, the, the, one of the key arguments of the Protestant Reformation was that through um, indulgences, which were attached to monetary offerings, which is that people were contributing to church projects and they were given an indulgence, that people were buying their salvation or buying the forgiveness of sins. Now, of course, that's not exactly official church teaching. Um, So what I want to kind of do is I want to kind of back up to kind of flesh this out. I kind of want to build an argument little by little and then come back to this question of, indulgences which are attached to monetary offerings and indulgences in general. So I I probably could do a little bit better of doing my official homework. I've done a lot of homework on this, um, but my wording might be slightly off in some particular situations. So if there's any theologians or anybody who really knows, feel free to comment, feel free to correct me if for some reason I, you know, just have a slight nuance off. But all right, so let's get in first. Jesus and the Centurion, Luke 7, 1 through 8. So I want to start with Scripture, not to say that this is a proof text, but I want to talk a little bit about some of the ideas of Scripture and then come back to the the, the sale of indulgences. I, I don't think we would call it that officially in church teaching, but I think that there's actually, in this discussion, there's a profound thing that opens us to mystery. I don't think it's just an academic conversation, but there's something in our own lives that it awakens us to mystery if we properly understand how the church teaches on this. So far, starting off with Luke 7, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. When he had finished all his words to the people, he entered Capernaum. So he's in Capernaum, the town of Capernaum. A centurion there had a slave who was ill and about to die, and he was valuable to him. When he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and save the life of his slave. Now, I want to draw this out, first of all. I think what we're going to see with the centurion is... I want to read this actually in the context of the pessimistic modern Catholic and how they would view this if this was a parish. So imagine Jesus is the parish priest versus um, our Lord and Savior. And so Centurion is basically a wealthy man of town. And let's see what the Jewish elders say about him. So when they had heard about this, he sent elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and save the life of his slave. They approached Jesus and strongly urged him to come, saying, He deserves to have you do this for him. For he loves our nation, and he built the synagogue for us. So here's a fascinating dynamic. Here you have a Roman centurion who's basically like a big donor. So let's say this is your big donor to your capital campaign. This is your big donor who's really helped out the church in that specific area. And let's say you're the parish priest, right? And so the people of your the people come to you and say, or you're, you're visiting through town, and you're an important person like Jesus. And they're saying, you really need to give this person special attention because look at all that he's done for you. Now, the cynical Catholic in modern America is going to say, Jesus favors the rich, right? Um, you know, did, does he do this for everybody? Why is he just doing it for this one person? But there is something to be said that his contribution to the synagogue has opened God's grace in his life. So is he buying his salvation? Did when he built that synagogue, when he was, did he buy his salvation? And of course, you know, the answer is no. Um, but there's something about that, that there's, when we see with the wealthy, when they're, they're open to God's grace and they're being generous, there is a sense that that has a value towards their salvation. It is pleasing in the sight of the Lord. So Jesus went with them. But when he was only a short distance from the house, the centurion sent friends to tell him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, 
for I am not worthy to have you enter my, under my roof. Therefore, I did not consider myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and let my servant be healed. For I too am a man subject to authority, with soldiers subject to me. And I say to one, go, and he goes. And to another, come here, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. So, so the, 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 the cynical Catholic, the cynical person in the pews, the cynical um, non-Christian, non-Catholic who looks in and says, Jesus is favoring the rich. He's, he's favoring a centurion who has noble standing. Of course, we have to put in the context, the broader context of Jesus's ministry. He goes sometimes out of his way for the poor and the forgotten. He also goes out to those on the margins of society. But there's also a sense I want to get into, which is it's coupled with that interior transformation. I think this gets at the heart of how indulgences work as well. So there's an indulgence, which is often a meritorious action. So the church desires to promote some kind of action. And to that action, they attach the gift of of additional graces that go beyond the, the action itself to kind of promote the action. Now, when they do that, when they promote the action, um, it's not like that alone earns our salvation. There has to be an openness to God's grace beforehand. There has to be a faith. There has to be a relationship with the Lord. And if we have that relationship with the Lord, what happens is there's two types of ways that we merit grace. Our initial merit of grace, our initial gift of God's grace is through Jesus Christ, through his salvific work. But by our works, by our cooperation with that gift, we merit an increase of grace. So the centurion is already open to Jesus Christ. Therefore, his action merits an increase in grace by building the synagogue, by being open, because he's already open to God. He has that humility of heart. He's open. It's not just that he said, I want to do this to placate them, or I want to do this to manipulate the Jews or to manipulate Jesus. There's an interior conversion as well. So with that in mind, I really think we need to get at this idea that indulgences, a big part of indulgences is a sense of healing. There's a spiritual healing that gets tied with indulgences. The church has the authority to promote meritorious actions. So as I was mentioning before, the, in the strictest sense, we merit gifts, grace through the gift of Jesus Christ. We, Jesus earns our salvation, and then we participate in that. We receive it by, by virtue of our faith. But the difference between Catholics and Protestants is once we've accepted that faith, once we've received it, and we're persevering in a state of grace, there's a healing that needs to take place with the effects of sin. So indulgences get at this sense of healing. But I want to say, does monetary offerings help heal the soul? Now, we know that it does in the case of giving almsgiving. So this is a great concept. I'm going to pull out some passages. Sirach 3.30, it says, As water quenches a flaming fire, so almsgiving atones for sins. So there's a sense that almsgiving heals the heart. So when we give to the poor, we're not just trying to solve problems. There's an interior healing that goes on. There's an openness that that takes place. Cyprian of Carthage, who died in 258, talked about a post-baptismal healing of sin. And he kind of gets into, it's um, it's on New Advent under the Father. So if you look up Cyprian of Carthage, he talks about the need for after our baptism for that healing. So I just wanted to give that as a source. So at least in the early church, within the first 300 years, they had already started to interpret the scriptures as a kind of healing of sin that takes place after we've received the initial gift of our salvation through Jesus Christ. And of course, this is all tied with purgatory, which is why there's that element in indulgences of getting time off of purgatory, quote unquote. So what does it mean? 
What are the means by which we heal our soul? Let's get into Tobit 12, 8 through 10. So this is Tobit 12, 8 through 10. Prayer with fasting is good. Almsgiving with righteousness is better than wealth with wickedness. It is better to give alms than to store up gold. For almsgiving saves from death and purges all sin. Those who give alms will enjoy a full life. But to those who commit sin and do evil are their own worst enemies. So when it comes to the gift of financial contributions, at the very least we can say that scripture is clear that when we give alms to the poor, that there's a healing that takes place within our heart. It's not just about solving a problem, but there's that interior transformation. It opens avenues of grace in our life. Remember that second kind of grace, that increase of grace after we have that relationship with Jesus Christ. So what if we took a favorable opinion of the church? What I want to do is come back to this indulgences. So the church, to promote the building of St. Peter's, said that a financial contribution to the church and building the cathedral, building the basilica, would have an indulgence attached to it. So I think on a simple level, when we say that giving alms to the poor is healing for the soul, perhaps giving also to the glory of God has an element of healing the soul. On a, on a, on a purely strictly level, taking aside the church's authority to give indulgences, that there is something meritorious about giving towards, say, beautiful art in the church, by decorating our churches, by glorifying God, building beautiful houses of worship. And this is perhaps the radical claim, which is when we contribute to art, when we contribute to society, when we even perhaps contribute to the advancement of technology or to the care, medicine, when we're giving to all of these good things, this generosity which springs from our heart heals our hearts and it merits an increase of grace. So, So if the church wished to defund the creation of a central church, she promoted this endeavor by granting indulgence. Um, I'm kind of going through my notes here, make sure I got everything. So if a devout Catholic wished to support the Holy Father and had a genuine desire to experience the healing of God's grace through being generous, it kind of makes sense, right? Uh, So instead of taking the cynical view that rich people are trying to buy their way into heaven, that they were out of a generous spirit wanting to support the Holy Father and to support the church. And that's the fascinating thing. Through the creation of art, perhaps, through contribution, that it has eternal significance. This is what I would talk about as a holistic view of salvation, which is, of course, we know that we don't earn our salvation. It's always the gift of grace. It's earned through Jesus Christ. But then to merit that increase, that healing of the heart, every action of our life, when oriented towards God, has the potential to heal the human heart. So the indulgences, while they go beyond the the merits uh, accrued by actions, are a way that the church promotes these things to build up the body. So I don't think we're going to ever go back to having indulgences being attached to monetary offerings. I think, I think that's been so wisely criticized that the church would avoid that. But I don't think it's completely unreasonable. And I, that's what I'm kind of getting at. I, I don't think it's completely outside. I think only a cynical person fails to see how the, the possible beauty. And the reality is, is because of a lot of those indulgences, we now have St. Peter's, which year after year amazes thousands, perhaps millions of people with its beauty. Really, when you get at it, the Protestant view is that there's no eternal consequences for a lot of our actions. So once we've had that relationship with the Lord, our actions don't have eternal consequences. That's what I would get at, is that every action has an eternal consequence. 
So this has been Father Ian Van Heusen, the Art of Living Well podcast. So just please, uh, you know, subscribe if you're if you're listening to this. Um, give us a review. Uh, if you're online, consider sharing it. If you're looking at this through Facebook or through the website, um, we do. You know, I try to point out every Friday, so I, I really do appreciate all the love and support. And you know, I've really really appreciated our fans. I've gotten to know folks over the years um, through the comment sections and just getting to know their personalities and. I am not always able to respond the way I would love to to every single uh, feedback, but I do always appreciate it. Um, so this has been Father Ian Van Houston, the Living Well podcast. Thank you and God bless. Mm-hmm.